Hello and welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast series. This series has been developed to assist you to master your health and well-being. Health is too hard when you try to go it alone, and we know that together we are healthier. Today on the show we'll be discussing type 2 diabetes and the impact of the food you eat with Maggie Bradley. Maggie is an accredited practicing dietitian who is currently working across a range of nutritional fields including private practice based in Geelong, aged care and sports nutrition with Western Bulldogs AFL Women's. Maggie graduated from Deakin University with a Bachelor of Health Science and Masters of Dietetics and is passionate about empowering individuals with evidence-based knowledge to improve their health and management of chronic diseases. Maggie sees clients with a range of health conditions, but mainly focuses on type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and weight management. Maggie Bradley, welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Firstly, can you explain what is the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Well, diabetes is quite a serious condition, but there are a number of different forms of diabetes. So the most common types of diabetes that we find are type 1 and type 2. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition, and it's not as common as type 2. It really only affects around 10% of the population with diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition. What happens is, is the immune system is activated to destroy cells within the pancreas. And the pancreas is an organ that sits next to our stomach, and it produces insulin. So what happens is, when our immune system destroys the cells that are producing insulin, our body then can't bring our blood glucose levels down. So people with type 1 diabetics, they need to uh, regularly inject insulin throughout the day or around their meals and also regularly check their blood glucose levels. Type 1 diabetes is usually diagnosed quite young in age and unfortunately at this point in time, there's really no cure for type 1 at this point. Whereas when we're looking at type 2 diabetes, this is a condition that really looks at our lifestyle, such as our diet and our exercise, and it's much more common than type 1 and accounts for around 85% of the people who have diabetes. So the number of people with diabetes or type 2 is actually increasing rapidly. We used to find this condition really in people over the ages of 55, but because there are increasing numbers of people who are overweight now, we're seeing people being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes actually quite young. So unlike type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes develops over time when our blood glucose levels are higher than normal and our body's response to insulin actually is decreased. So what happens is our body has to compensate for having to produce extra insulin to bring our blood glucose levels down. But over time, this can actually put quite a bit of strain on the pancreas and actually damage and destroy cells within the pancreas. It then reduces its function of producing insulin. And as diabetes is a progressive disease, we may then have to go on extra medications or then insulin to ensure that our blood glucose levels remain stable. So type 2 diabetes is actually preventable. So it is a fastly growing chronic disease in Australia. And I think over 1.2 million Australians have diabetes. But we can do something to change that and that's really looking at our lifestyle with our food and our exercise to prevent or at least manage our diabetes appropriately because as the increased numbers of people being diagnosed with diabetes we're also seeing complications that are related to diabetes so these are things like heart disease uh, kidney disease uh, limb amputations and blindness so now that uh, diabetes is increasing we're also having these other complications associated with it as well. 
So what about pre-diabetes? Can you explain what that is? Certainly. So pre-diabetes is actually called insulin resistance. So that name is interchangeable. And it's a condition where our blood glucose levels are higher than normal, although they're not high enough to be diagnosed with type 2. Now, pre-diabetes doesn't actually have any signs or symptoms, so it can make it quite difficult to detect. But uh, there are two different types of pre-diabetes. So the doctor may say something like an impaired glucose tolerance. Now, what this means is you have high blood glucose levels that are higher than normal, but they're not high enough to be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. The other type of prediabetes is impaired fasting glucose levels. And what this is is when our blood glucose levels are higher in a fasting state, which is mean, which means that you haven't had anything to eat or drink. But again, they're not high enough for you to be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. So prediabetes uh, is really important because you can actually make uh, positive dietary and lifestyle changes to prevent the development into diabetes or at least delay the progression into type 2. So by making healthier food choices, maintaining weight or promoting a little bit of weight loss and also exercising are some of the things of what you can do to prevent the development into type 2 diabetes. Are there any warning signs to indicate you've got diabetes? So there's not necessarily any warning signs for pre-diabetes, as I've mentioned, but with type 2 diabetes, there are some symptoms such as being excessively thirsty, needing to frequently urinate or go to the bathroom, feeling really tired or lethargic, uh, having changes to vision, so you may find you have a little bit more blurry vision, gradual weight gain, or even uh, cuts or wounds that take longer to heal. But for some people, they don't even have any symptoms. So it can come to a bit of a shock to the system um, by being diagnosed with diabetes. So it's really important that you do get regular checkups with your doctor uh, and to follow up any concerns that you may have if something's not feeling right. So what changes can we make to our food that can help manage pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes? Well, when it comes to managing diabetes or even pre-diabetes, it's really important to have a look at overall what we're eating. So having a look at the Australian Dietary Guidelines and comparing our food intake to these guidelines. So these guidelines are really focused on five food groups. So our grains and our cereals, our vegetables, fruit, dairy products like milk and yogurt, cheese, and then also protein sources. So this includes animal-based proteins such as our meat, chicken, fish and eggs, or our plant-based protein like our beans and legumes. And it's important that we are including our foods from a variety of these five food groups. And if you are currently Uh, eating from these five food groups and that's fantastic because unfortunately some of the statistics that have shown that Australians are eating a third of our food from the discretionary food group. So this is an entirely different food group that's made up of our uh, I guess what we call junk food. So our takeaway, our lollies and chocolates, biscuits and cakes. So a third of our food is actually coming from this food group rather than our five food groups. And it's this discretionary food group that tends to be quite high in energy, sugar and fat and um, and can contribute to weight gain. So having a look and seeing where the food is coming from and looking at um, can we switch that to increasing the amount of 
fruit that we're eating. So our guidelines state to include at least one to two pieces of fruit per day. Increasing the amount of vegetables that you're eating. I think that some of the statistics show that not even 95% of Australians eat enough vegetables. So we're looking for around five to six serves of vegetables each day. Looking at the type of grains that you're eating. So can we choose whole grains uh, or whole grain cereals and breads rather than the white varieties and looking at the portion sizes that you eat them in. Another thing that you can have a look at is eating regular meals and snacks. So it's important not to skip your meals or have the largest meal in the evening. So trying to spread out your food evenly throughout the day means that you have enough energy and and this can promote um, your I guess, regular energy levels and promote overeating. So what about carbohydrates? Are they bad? And how do they affect us? So carbohydrates get a pretty bad rep these days because of the increased uh, sort of diets around ketogenic or low-carb diets. Uh, You'll find that a lot of people will say carbohydrates are bad for you, but I definitely don't believe um, carbohydrates are bad for you but they will affect your diabetes. We find carbohydrates in quite a wide variety of of foods. So your breads and cereals, grains, pastas and rice, dairy products like milk and yogurt, uh, fruit, starchy vegetables like sweet potato, potato and corn. But then we also find them in our discretionary foods like our biscuits and our cakes, our lollies, soft drinks and juices. So when we eat these carbohydrate foods, what happens is they're digested and broken down into glucose, which is what the body then uses for energy. So depending on the type of carbohydrate that you eat and in what amount, our blood glucose levels are going to vary. So it's important to determine, well, what carbohydrates are we eating and how much are we eating them in because eliminating them isn't going to be the answer because as I've mentioned, carbohydrates provide energy for the body, but they also provide a really other important nutrient called fiber. And dietary fiber is really important for maintaining our blood glucose levels, but also bulking up our stools. So they help us with our healthy bowel motions. So what about the glycemic index? Um, It's one thing that gets mentioned a lot. Uh, Can you explain what it is? So the glycemic index is a ranking system out of 100 and it's based upon how quickly or how slowly the carbohydrate is increasing our blood glucose levels. So to make it a bit easier, I tend to look at the glycemic index as low or high glycemic foods. So our low glycemic carbohydrates or foods are foods that are higher in fiber. So when we eat them, they take longer to digest and break down and therefore our blood glucose levels rise much slower. We tend to find low glycemic carbohydrates in our whole grain breads and cereals, wholemeal pastas, uh, your basmati or brown rice, your fruits and veggies. So these are all sources of low GI carbohydrates that will help to keep our blood glucose levels stable. Whereas high glycemic carbohydrates, these tend to be more refined or processed foods. They could be whiter in colour, like our white rice, white bread, white potato. And they also could have high uh, amounts of added sugar in them. 
So that when we eat these high GI foods, they're digested quite rapidly and they release glucose into the bloodstream quite rapidly. So we tend to have a spike in our blood glucose levels. But because of that lack of fiber, we then tend to find a drop in our sugar levels. So we then find we can be become quite lethargic or tired and we can rely on these high GI foods for a quick top up of energy, but they really don't sustain you. So I recommend choosing these low GI options for a much more sustained energy release. I've heard a plant-based diet can be effective in managing diabetes. What exactly does a plant-based diet look like and how is it effective in managing diabetes? So a plant-based diet is really a whole food or a diet that centers around unrefined and, and unprocessed foods. So it's really made up of our fruits and vegetables, whole grains, beans, legumes, nuts and seeds. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're following a strict vegetarian or vegan diet. Uh, you can still include small amounts of lean meats, eggs, seafood, dairy products. Uh, but it's simply a diet rich in foods that come from plants. Whereas if we're looking at the, what it really focuses on minimising, so we're really minimising refined and processed foods like our white flours and grains, refined sugars. And these are high in energy added sugar and fat and quite low in fiber as well. So there's actually quite a lot of growing evidence around plant-based diets and how they can help manage our, our diabetes. And the main thing is by reducing the amount of discretionary and refined foods that you're eating, you're overall decreasing the amount of calories that you're eating, decreasing the amount of sugar and fat that you're eating, and then increasing your fiber. So what we find is by switching to a plant-based diet, you, this can actually com promote a little bit of weight loss uh, that in turn can help um, insulin resistance. So we find that blood glucose levels then can decrease. It's important to remember that not one size fits all. So there's not a diabetic diet out there, but there is growing evidence that a plant-based diet can be helpful in managing our blood glucose levels. People may have some challenges switching their diet from what they're usually eating to a plant-based diet, um, cravings, things like that. How do you suggest they overcome them? So it can be a little bit of a challenge to um, switch to a plant-based diet. The best thing that I would recommend is start small. Don't try and overhaul your diet all in one day. I think it's really important to start to make small substitutions. So whether it is starting to increase the amount of uh, fruit and vegetables that you're eating, trying to reduce the amount of soft drink and switching that for water, trying to increase include more home cooked meals rather than takeaway and over time this actually starts to build more healthy habits so it's really about our behaviors and habits around food rather than the diet itself uh, but it means that over time the cravings and things like that will actually reduce but it is something that will take time so perseverance um, and ensuring that you're, you're eating enough of our plant-based foods that can help keep you satisfied as well. And for someone with pre-diabetes in terms of the types of food and how much room they take up on the dinner plate what should their dinner plate look like when they have a meal? 
it doesn't matter if you have diabetes or not. We essentially should be all eating a healthy diet and our dinner plates are actually the same. If you have diabetes or if you don't, our plate should be the same. Having a look at the size of the dinner plate and looking at how big your dinner plate is. A really good starting point is actually reducing it uh, to make it more of like an entree size plate. Now there's three components for our dinner plate. We have our veggies, or salad, we've got a protein source, and then we've got a low glycemic carbohydrate source. So you want to cover half your dinner plate with some vegetables. So that equals around um, two to three serves of veggies right there on your dinner plate. Then our next component is our protein. So this could be plant-based sources like our beans and legumes, or it could be animal like um, fish or chicken, eggs, and it should take up around your palm size or around a quarter of your dinner plate. And then lastly, we're looking at our carbohydrate portions. So it doesn't mean you have to eliminate them, but choosing low glycemic carbohydrates like whole grain, um, grains like your basmati or brown rice, wholemeal pastas, and looking for around half a cup to a cup or one medium-sized potato. So making sure that we're having more veggies than carbohydrates. And if this is a big change for you, it could be that you start to reduce the amount of carbohydrates that you have on your dinner plate and increasing the amount of veggies. So it's a gradual change rather than something that happens quite quickly. Do you have any favourite recipes you give to people to include in their weekly routine? Uh, So my favourite recipe is really uh, vary depending on the time of the year. It's now very cold, so I've really started to cook up some more soups. I'm someone who loves my vegetable um, or pumpkin soup in particular, but I'm all for uh, things like casseroles or slow cooking. So now that it's getting cold, I've been cooking up some slow cooked dishes, whether it's um, lean chicken with lots of veggies and lentils popping them in the oven or in a slow cooker, walking away for a few hours and coming back to a delicious hearty meal. Uh, They're probably my favourite at the moment. Porridge is probably one of my favourite things to eat in the morning. I'm someone who will eat the same thing every day, but some porridge uh, with a little bit of cinnamon or different types of fruits to make it a little bit different as well. So what about when we're eating out at restaurants? Often we look at that as a time to throw our diet out the window and that kicks off a whole new type of habit forming thing. So some tips when we eat at restaurants would be great. So having diabetes doesn't mean you have to deprive yourself or um, feel that you can't be in that social situation. But it's also important that you don't throw everything out the window and that you do try and make a healthier choice if possible. Some of the things that I recommend is have a look at the menu before you go out. Menus or restaurants these days have the menu online. So look for options that have steam or boiled in there uh, in the title and avoid things like fried or deep fried options. Uh, Choosing meals that contain vegetables or a vegetable base. So if you're going out to like an Asian type restaurant, choosing stir fry meats with some vegetables and then you're able to, to choose a small serve of rice or something on the side rather than like a big bowl of pasta for example, where the main um, product in that, that a meal is pasta. So you're not really getting much protein or vegetables in them. If you do really feel like having a pasta or risotto dish, why don't you choose a entree size and then order a small serve of uh, garden salad or vegetables on the side there. You could have a look at uh, even switching to uh, water or soda water rather than soft drinks. If you wanted to share a dessert, so you definitely can eat sweets when you're out at restaurants, but why not share it with a family member uh, or a friend? And if you feel like 
you're getting to the point where you're feeling full, why not ask the waiter to pop it in a takeaway container so you can take it home? So this can prevent you from overeating um, and it means that you can have some leftovers at a later time. So what about snacks? Should people who have diabetes or pre-diabetes, should they be snacking during the day? And what are some good snacks to have between those main meals? So it depends on the type of medication. So some people um, who are on certain medications or insulin, they may need extra snacks throughout the day to assist in managing their blood glucose levels. But for someone who is maybe uh, looking at uh, losing a little bit of weight or maintaining their weight, excessive snacking or snacking may not be actually necessary. So really listening to your body. And if you're starting to feel hungry, then that's the perfect time to have a snack. If you're snacking just for the sake of snacking and you're not really hungry, then that's the time to really be aware of your eating habits um, and limit that snacking. But some healthier options that you could choose are things like our fruit. So looking for one to two pieces of fruit per day, cutting up some vegetable sticks, like some carrot or celery, cucumber you could add it with some low-fat dip or even a couple of whole grain crackers Uh, you could include some nuts so unsalted um, in a small handful or even something like some greek yogurt or natural yogurt the type of snacks that i recommend you avoid are things like our biscuits and our cakes and soft drinks our chocolates and while these are okay every now and again They don't uh, keep you full for longer because of the lack of fibre. We find that these foods uh, tend to spike our blood glucose levels and we find then it then drops in our blood glucose levels. So they don't keep you uh, sustained for long periods of time. And if we regularly rely on these types of snacks, we can actually lead to a bit of weight gain. So you mentioned your love of porridge before and oats are something that is commonly brought up as being beneficial. Why? Oats are a really, really good source of dietary fiber. So when we eat them, they're digested slowly and they're also low GI. So they keep our blood glucose levels nice and stable. They prevent that spike. Oats are also a really good source of fiber, which I mentioned, which is really good for our heart health. So they can actually also manage our blood cholesterol levels. So it could be switching your breakfast cereal to oats or porridge in the morning as a way to manage your blood glucose levels, but also promotes a good heart health. Now, Australians tend to drink a little bit too much alcohol. What is the link between alcohol and diabetes? So there's actually no link between alcohol and diabetes. However, some alcoholic drinks can be quite high in kilojoules or added sugar. So When we drink alcohol in excess, this can actually contribute to weight gain. So it's not the link between alcohol and diabetes, it's more the link between weight gain and diabetes. Also, when we're at the pub and we're starting to to drink a few beers, our appetite's also stimulated. So unfortunately, when we drink alcohol, we then tend to choose poorer choices as well. So that hand in hand can contribute to weight gain. But if you do choose to drink, what I would recommend is limit your intake to what the current guidelines recommend of no more than two standard drinks per day. Any other lifestyle strategies to help us prevent pre-diabetes? Some lifestyle uh, factors that you could help or what you could implement 
is exercise. So diet and exercise go hand in hand in diabetes management. If you're looking uh, at doing some extra activity, I really encourage you to do at least 30 minutes per day, at least five times per week. And if you haven't been able to be active or not able to do any activity, have a chat to your GP or health professional and they can give you some more guidance around some appropriate activities um, and start slowly to then build up. I really would recommend having to think about what eating habits and behaviours you have around food. So thinking about are you eating regular meals or are you skipping them? We tend to find that if you skip meals, we tend to eat larger portions than later in the day and then we find some overeating patterns there. Thinking about the habits around food when are you sitting down for your meals so uh, moving away from maybe the television and sitting down at the dinner table chewing your food 10 to 20 times really slow the rate that you eat and that can also help prevent overeating and be aware of uh, any mindless eating so whether it is snacking or or eating because the food's there rather than actually being hungry these are all good habits that you can implement that can help to manage our diabetes but really just live an overall healthy lifestyle because when it comes to diabetes it's really not about a quick fix this is a long-term lifestyle and behavior change so by implementing dietary and lifestyle changes you may find some weight loss and that can also help to uh, prevent uh, progression in diabetes. So where can listeners find out more about this topic and keep up to date on diabetes and pre-diabetes? So there are a number of different great resources out there. For fact sheets or some more information, Diabetes Australia has some great uh, information and they also have a diabetes risk calculator. So uh, this can also give you a little bit of insight in terms of your risk of developing diabetes. The Baker Institute uh, is also a great resource or website that has a lot of research and fact sheets on um, all things diabetes. And then for some uh, more information regarding the dietary guidelines, heading to eatforhealth.gov.au is a great website for our five food groups and also our portions and serve sizes. And if somebody wanted some more personalised information on their diet tailored to them, where can they find you? So you could find me either on social media, so maggieb.nutrition or on my website maggiebradleynutrition.com and I work across a number of different GP clinics in the Geelong region, so in Newcombe and in Belmont. So if you head to my website, you'll be able to find more about where you could book appointments um, to sit down and, and chat to me about your diabetes. Maggie Bradley, thank you for joining us today on the Healthier Together GMHBA podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's a new dawn in health insurance because GMHBA are partnering with AIA Vitality to encourage us to be healthier by rewarding healthy choices. Join GMHBA V Plus with AIA Vitality to earn real rewards for health checks, exercising, even eating well. Changing how you think about health insurance for life. GMHBA and AIA Vitality. Healthier together.